So we are thankful, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I read us a scripture from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sought property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to them the number, then added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. May God be praised. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to church this morning. My name is Humphreys, and so good to have you guys here. Uh, I'm continuing our series that we launched last week called We Are The Church. And what we are trying to communicate here is that being the church is better than doing church. I lost my dad when I was um, 15 years old. And um, before he died, we had like this pattern going on. Because I came to know Jesus when I was very, very young. Uh, uh, my dad wasn't going to church at all. Uh, he was uh, an alcoholic. And uh, he would, um, you know, let us go to church, but he wouldn't come uh, with us to church. And uh, there was a time that he got sick. So I invited my friends to say, hey, can we go and pray with my dad? Um, so we went, and I said, by the way, make sure that he received Jesus today. Um, so, I mean, he's sick. He's, uh, he's in need of healing. Uh, so they said, before we pray, uh, do you want to give your life to Jesus? He's like, oh, sure. So he gave his life to Jesus. We prayed. A uh, few, few days later, he, he's healed. Uh, and, you know, for just a few weeks, he would not uh, drink and all, but then he would go back to it. Because now he's okay. He's all right. Um, and then that's it. And then it would happen again. And we had this pattern happen. Uh, but the, the last time, uh, he never recovered uh, from his sickness. Uh, I don't remember having so many conversations with my dad, but I remember one conversation we had uh, towards the end of his life. And he said to me, Hey, Humphreys, I really like that you go to church. I really like that you preach about Jesus. You believe in God. What you do is absolutely amazing, and you should keep doing it. And I'm like, yes, but what about you? What if we're doing this thing together? You know, I've never been to church with you. Can we be going to church together and all? And he's like, you know what, Humphreys, I did church for a long time. Uh, I did church for a while. But what I found there was not love at all. Like people would uh, hang out with the people they know. Uh, they would only put in positions people with money. And, uh, you know, they, they just like would hang out with the people that would benefit them. And I did not find love there at all. So I don't see the reason why I should be going to church. Now, this is not a new story to most of us. Like some of us have had this conversation with a friend, uh, a colleague, a family member, or maybe we have seen it for ourselves that, you know, church becomes uh, this club or this clique and uh, there's no really community there. And people are actually searching. People are searching for something authentic. You know, people are searching for a community that's beautiful and has a true representation of God's kingdom. People are searching for belonging that's never determined 
by a bunch of rules, but by an authentic love of God and His people. People are searching for spiritual depth that's never determined by how much Christian jargon you know. You know, like just because you know these deep Christian words, redemption and salvation and stuff like that, then we see you as a mature Christian. Actually, most people that know those things, they are not really matured Christians. But people are looking for a community that can not only just say things by word, but they can live it out. You know, people are looking for authentic communities where the, the communities are being known by what they are for rather than for what they are against. And this is happening a lot in our Christian circles. We are being known more for what we are against rather than for what we are for. So people are searching. Now, I don't know where you are in your journey. You could be here this morning. Maybe you are skeptical about church. Uh, some of you maybe are here and you are carrying wounds that you have experienced. Um, either maybe you even experienced those wounds in the church. There's a term for that called church hurt. There are some of you maybe that are on fire for God. And you, can, you cannot just wait to save God. Um, you know, you are just like... Things are going well for you, spiritually speaking. Or maybe you're here full of doubt and fear. Or maybe you're in this space and you're trying to figure things out. You're trying to figure out how does this church thing work. Or maybe you are here and you're like, I don't know if this church thing works for me. Um, maybe this is my last Sunday here. I want to leave this church thing altogether. I don't know where you are at. But I hope today you can hear the words of Jesus that he says to you. Jesus said, daughter, you're welcome. Son, you are welcome. Because Jesus is actually for you. And he wants us, he wants us to be the church and not do church. Now in the passage that we read this morning in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, we see an amazing picture of this early church. A picture that only not just embrace the idea of church or something that we do, but actually something who we are. So you see a picture of a church that's thriving, a picture of a church that's so devoted to Jesus, so devoted to Jesus, that they are loving each other deeply and have a, an authentic relationship with God, but also with each other. You can, when you read this passage, you see that this is actually a life-giving community. And that's what I wanted us to talk about today. I want to talk about on the theme um, when the church is devoted, what that looks like, what that feels like, what that smells like. And I want us to jump into this passage of what it looks like to be a life-giving community. So let's dive in. Number one, a community becomes life-giving when devotion to Christ results in truth and grace being prioritized. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The breaking of bread and prayer. A community becomes a life-giving community when devotion to Christ results in truth and grace being prioritized. What's the one thing that's going to unite this congregation of people that have different backgrounds? What's the one thing that's going to bring them together the thing that will bring them together and unite them will be God's truth. And it said, and they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. They devoted themselves to truth, to God's truth. 
Now, being devoted to truth or gathering around God's truth is not just about knowledge where you know what God's truth is. It's not about just knowledge because information is never enough to produce transformation. They needed to show fruit for the truth that they are learning. Because if your belief never influences your behavior, then your belief is for nothing. Our beliefs need to influence our behavior. So they are coming around God's truth, not just to know God's truth, but that they would let that truth speak life in their, in their souls so that they begin to see life change in their lives. So they embrace truth. But also it says, not only are they committed to uh, the teachings of the apostles, but they're also committed to fellowship. That means they're committed to grace, embracing grace. How can the people that have different backgrounds have communion or better fellowship with one another? It's when you can embrace truth and grace. You need to embrace them both. And sometimes we can just hold on to one thing and then you let go of the other. Hold on to truth only and not grace. Or hold on to grace only and not truth. Now, truth alone, without grace, sometimes it can sound mean. It can sound that you do not care for people and sometimes can even bring condemnation and shame. But also grace alone without truth can kind of like make you a fake friend. A friend who is not willing to speak truth. A friend who is like, I don't know if I want to confront that in that person. I just want to embrace grace alone. But actually, we need to embrace both grace and truth. And the person who does a better job in holding both grace and truth together is Jesus. Because in Jesus, you see a God who says truth to you. And also, he says grace to you. Jesus comes to you. He's the one who comes to you and says, you are a sinner. And your sin will lead to death. That's truth. But then he comes back to you and he says, but. I'm here, I will die for you to save you from your sin. That's grace. Truth and grace that we found, we find in Jesus. And it's amazing that this congregation, you know, comes together and they meditate on God's word together. Now, we have the privilege in our days of every single one of us having Bibles. You know, if you pull out your phone, you probably, most of us have a Vision app uh, we can read Bibles for ourselves. It was never a privilege for these guys, by the way. However, I want to mention that sometimes we can glorify uh, you know, individual reading of Scripture above communal reading of Scripture. You know, this, these guys would come together, and we need to be doing both, where we are searching Scriptures for ourselves as individuals, but also we are searching Scriptures and meditating on Scripture as a community, because there's so much power in that, so much power in that. Number two, a community becomes life-giving when devotion to Christ results in God's wonders being popular. Results in God's wonders being popular. Verse 43 says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Performed by the apostles. And I want to just point out here that we can run into the temptation in the church where we are building platforms for celebrities, you know, celebrity pastors and preachers, where we can find ourselves glorifying giftedness over fruit, 
where we say, hey, because they are so gifted in that area, therefore, we're going to be more, we, we're going to let go of this thing that they're doing. You know, they are um, abusing people here. They are controlling. They are doing that thing. But hey, they are a good preacher. So we're going to let them go. Where we exhort giftedness over fruit. But when we do that, we are more being mesmerized by people than Jesus. And a church that's life-giving is going to be a place of wonder where all of us are more mesmerized by Jesus than by the people who are with Jesus. That all of us, we're going to be more captivated by Jesus than by the people that are doing things for Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we cannot admire what God is doing in every single one of us. I'm not saying we cannot appreciate the good work that God is doing in you. But we don't need to stop there. We need to admire the beautiful God who is doing beautiful things in every single one of us. We need to be captivated by a beautiful God who is building something beautiful in our lives. Because that's being captivated by God's wonder. Being captivated by God's wonder. And I hope us as a church, as a congregation, we can be that. Where people, when they hear about floods, what if the first thing they think about is Jesus? You know, Jesus at work. Now it can happen that the things that we are doing here grabs people's attention. But I hope when they come, that that will not be the last thing they come out of here with. That the last thing that will grab their attention would be Jesus. That would be Christ. It would be Christ. Because Jesus never runs out of wonder. You know, uh, sometimes you would see this magician uh, performing like a magic you know, trick. And then you're like, whoa. Yeah, but then you see them do it again. You're like, whoa. And then the fifth, seventh time, you're like, uh, do you have something else? Right? It's just like the wonder isn't the like, you know, come on. It's just one thing. And that's what's going to happen. When we're in the forefront, when we want people to be amazed by us, maybe they might be wild the first time, but the second time, their wonder is going to dwindle. Their awe is going to dwindle. But not so with God. When you look at Jesus, you're like, wow. And then you look at him again, you're like, wow. And then you run out of, out of words. He's like, wow. You know? Because Jesus never runs out of wonder. He continues to all us. We continue to be wowed by Jesus. So we're going to become a life-giving community when our devotion to God results in wonders of God being popular. That God alone is wonderful above all things. Number three, a community becomes life-giving when devotion to Christ results in authentic relationships being pursued. A community becomes life-giving when devotion to Christ results in authentic relationships being pursued. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sought property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Who had need. All believers had everything in common. They devoted to pursuing authentic relationships. And these relationships were never built on status. They were never built on achievement. They were never built on power. Now, talking about authentic relationships does not mean in that community that there are no differences or there are no doubts or there are no mistakes. No, those things are present. 
Your things are present. But in authentic relationships means that we are not going to pretend. And we're never going to build our relationships based on what we can give each other. But based on what God has done for us. Based on what Jesus has done for us. We're never going to base our connections on what we have achieved. And when I'm talking about achievement, I'm not just talking about the things that you have achieved in your life. But also, even good track records that you have achieved. You feel like I have good reputation. Or you can look in my closet, you'll find nothing. I'm good. I am better. I have a better connection to God than you have. Because I'm all good. But we need to be careful. Because sometimes in the church, we can fall in love with people's good records than the people themselves. We can fall in love with people's reputations and the people themselves. To be, to be loved by God, it means that God loves you more than he loves your reputation. Because if God loves your reputation, then we have no room, all of us have no room in the presence of God. Because we all for shot. We all for shot. So we are loved by God. And it's not because we have good reputations, but because Jesus loves us. He loves us so much. And to be a thriving community, that means we're going to pursue authentic relationships. We are never going to say, mm, your, track, your track record isn't good, don't come here. Oh, your reputation is so bad, please don't come here. No, because we all come to God's kingdom. And we know that we are so loved by God in spite of our reputations and, and, and track records. So how can an authentic relationship look like? Maybe this looks like a community that confesses their sin instead of hiding it. Authentic relationships. Maybe this is making quick amends when we have messed up. You know you have done wrong, but you're going to go and make a quick amend. Maybe this is wearing the glasses of grace and compassion, more especially when people fail when people mess up, that we're going to look at them through the eyes of compassion and grace. Maybe this means like working with each, with each other, you know, closely working with each other and walking with each other rather than saying, no, that's not my need. I can never come close to that. Authentic relationships need to be pursued if we're going to have a life-giving community. Number four, a community becomes life-giving when devotion to Christ results in generosity being practiced. A community becomes life-giving when devotion to Christ results in generosity being practiced. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sought property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. One of the marks of a life-giving community is the practice of generosity. Now, our generosity needs to be filled by what God can do, by what God can do for us, and by what God can do in us as we're being generous. Now, when you're being generous, does not mean you don't have the needs of your own. All of us have needs of our own. Having a need should never determine, should never be a determining factor of whether you're going to be generous or not. Because God has been generous to us, and therefore we can be generous 
to other people. Now, when we're gonna, you're going to choose the way of generosity, you need to embrace inconvenience. You need to embrace inconvenience. Whenever you come face to face with a need that God wants you to face, there are two choices. The choice to choose compassion or convenience. You know, if you're going to choose convenience, you're going to choose comfort, you're going to say, no, I don't want to be involved in that. That's too messed up. I don't want to get myself in that. But when you choose a way of compassion, you are choosing to be inconvenienced because then you're going to get involved. You're going to get involved. And we're going to become a life-giving community when we pursue generosity. So what does generosity look like? We can be generous with our resources. This is when we give our resources not because we have a lot, not out of abundance, but out of trust in what God can do for us. So therefore, we can be generous with our resources. We can be generous with our words. This is when we are being gracious with our words. When we are talking about people, whether in their face or behind their backs, we're going to be generous with our words. That we're going to say good things about people, even when we want to say the opposite. We're going to be generous with our time. That we will create time for people, even for those that will never give us something back. Because sometimes you're going to want to make time for people that will do good things for you or because they will, it will benefit you. We can be generous with our prayers, that we pray for our enemies or we pray for people we don't like. We pray for people who disappointed us in the week. We pray for people who are not close to us. We can be generous with our prayers. But sometimes we, we're so selfish, not often. You know, just me, God, look at me, help me, walk with me, me, God, more, me, yeah? I. But we can be generous with our prayers. We can also be generous with our thoughts, with our thoughts, where we think the best of other people before they prove themselves to us. We can be generous with our thoughts. Number five, a community becomes a life-giving community when devotion to Christ results in Christ's life and death being prominent. It results in Christ's life and death being prominent. Verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. On this truth, they said, we're going to hang on to this. Because this is the backbone of our faith. Without, without this, we have no faith at all. We have no community at all. And we're going to come around this truth that Jesus lived, he died, but also he rose again. And we're going to make this known in our community, but also to the world. That we come together on this reality. And this is an important piece of us as a community that we should never ever forget the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Because when you look at the cross of Jesus, the cross of Jesus exposes two things. Number one, it exposes how ugly your sin is. The cross of Jesus exposes how, how ugly your sin is. And, um, and when you're thinking about sin, don't just think about sin as like the, the mistakes you make you as an individual or the sins you commit you as an individual. Think, think about it broadly. Uh, think about 
the unjust systems. Do you know that Jesus Christ was killed by a system? Like, Jesus was taken to court. He was judged. But it was a, a system, a sinful system that condemned him. And we as human beings, we have created systems that are unjust, that are sinful, that condemns people. So when you look at the cross, it's going to expose how, sin, how ugly your sin is. But at the same time, when you look at the cross, it's going to expose the beauty of the love of God. The beauty of God's love. That God loves us so much to the point of death. Sin is so ugly that he can kill a God. But God's love is so beautiful that he will be so willing to die for you. That he loves you so much to the point of death. And this is why it's so important that we make the life and death and resurrection of Jesus so prominent in our community. Because by doing that, we are saying all of us are sinful, but also all of us are loved by God. We are equally sinful and equally loved by a loving God. And therefore, as a community, we come together at the cross of Jesus. Amen. And that community that glorifies or remembers the death and life of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, what does that look like? Maybe it's a community that confesses sins to each other and to God in remembrance of what Christ has done. This is a community that renounces its tendencies to, to save themselves through their works and to say, no, we're going to surrender to Jesus because he has already done work on our behalf. So therefore, we can come to him in surrender. This is a community that celebrates the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through communion, just like we did this morning. Just like we did this morning. Number six, a community becomes life-giving when devotion to Christ results in hospitality being promoted. Hospitality being promoted. Verse 46 says, Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were meeting together, inviting each other in their homes, and they were so joyful that they were together with sincere hearts. Devotion to Christ would result in hospitality being promoted in this community. I was talking to a friend the other day, and they said, Hey, Humphreys, you are a local, so they're not from here. You are a local. Uh, I just have something that I've been wondering. You know, we invite Malawians to come to, to our place, uh, and we've been doing this for a couple of years, but for some reason, they don't invite us back. What's going on there? You know, we've been wondering why they don't invite us back. Now I said, hey, this is a complicated thing, but I can just tell you things on top of my head. First of all, casually, you know, we don't wait to be invited. We just show up. That's how we do, you know. I was passing by your house, and I thought, you know what? Oh, she stays over here. Let me see her. He stays over here. Let me see them, right? That's how we roll. You know, we don't wait to be like, okay, uh, when can you come? What time? Can we make a schedule? No, nonsense. We're just going to show up, right? That's how we are. But also, culturally, there are certain people, uh, we have never signed this anyway, but there are certain people that are the only ones who have to go to visit other people. Yeah, Malawians, you might agree with me. If this is your experience. Like, I meet certain uncles, 
you know, that always I know, they're going to say these words, why are you not coming to visit me? Right? And I remember saying to one of my uncles, like, by the way, when did we agree that I'm the only one coming to your house? Okay, but it didn't end well. Don't do that. It did not end well. But sometimes we can do that. However, there's one thing that can hinder us to be hospitable, and I think this is um, above just culture. Sometimes we feel not enough. You know, so you feel like, hey, I don't have enough chairs to visit people. I don't have enough plates. I don't have, uh, you know, enough spoons. Or oh, my house is so messed up. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to allow somebody to come in. You know, you feel not enough. Oh, I don't have, you know what? My mom was so good at doing this hospitality thing. I'm not so good at it. I'm not so good at this. So I don't think I should invite people in. But you know, hospitality is one way of saying, because Jesus has welcomed me into his home, therefore I'm going to welcome others into mine. Because Jesus has welcomed you into his home, then you can welcome others into your home. Jesus welcomes you, so you can welcome other people. And we need to pay attention to this for us, because we tend to feel not enough. We need to remember that Jesus welcomes us in his home. And therefore, we are enough. It's all good. You are already welcome in his home. You are already welcome in his presence. And because of that, you can now welcome other people, knowing that I'm already welcomed by God. So I can welcome other people. I'm already welcomed by God. But also for you to do hospitality uh, better, you need to embrace the truth that Jesus is more valued than your norms. Because there are certain ways that we want people to behave when they come to us, right? But actually to say Jesus is more valued than my norms, then you're going to let people in. And people will leave mess. People will do certain things that you don't approve of in your home. You know? You need to be willing because hospitality can be messed up sometimes. But we are so welcomed by Jesus. And therefore, we can welcome other people in, in our homes. Now, when it comes to welcoming other people or showing hospitality, sometimes we can show hospitality to the people we like, the people that are like us, the people that will give us something back. And the reason why we do that is because all of us want rewards we can control. Want rewards we can control. And Jesus Christ was actually good at this in pointing it out, saying, no, you don't need to just be welcoming the people that will give you good things because that's what everybody else is doing. If you're going to just welcome people that are kind to you or good to you or do lovely things towards you, you are not different from the world. Everybody else does the same thing. But you can welcome people, even those who don't like the same things as you, who don't eat the same food as you. There's reward for you, even though it's a kind of reward that you might not control. But there is reward for you. And lastly, a community becomes life-giving when devotion to Christ results in the gospel being proclaimed. Results in the gospel being proclaimed. Verse 47 says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That means they would go out and preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The good news that you and I carry today is that the kingdom of God has been made accessible to all people. And all of you are welcome in God's praises. All of you are welcome in God's praises. 
And one way that we can be doing this is sharing our lives. Sometimes we can be so lost in hard facts about Jesus. You know, sometimes we feel like, no, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know. I haven't had really teaching in my life. So I don't think I can, you know, share with them. But just share your life. There is something that Jesus Christ has done for you. You yourself have an experience with Jesus. What is that? Share it with someone else. Because with your experience, you come and say, God did this for me. So, come and see. Come and see what the Lord has done. Come and see Jesus. And when people come to Jesus, the one thing that you're guaranteed is that Jesus will be attractive to them. Jesus will be attractive to them. I don't know if you have ever done this, whereby like you bring somebody to church and like you pray, God, please, may the worship be amazing today. May the preacher preach a good word today. Yeah? Even when you're sitting, like if like I mess up, you're like embarrassed on my behalf because you brought a friend here. You know? If you say a good point, it's like, yes. Come on, more of that. Preach on, you know? We don't need to put makeup on Jesus. When people come to Jesus, they will find him attractive. They will find him attractive because there is something about Jesus that when he comes to you, you and you come in contact with him and you're like, wow, I've never met anybody who loves somebody like Jesus does. I've never met somebody who is so merciful like Jesus, who is so forgiving like Jesus. And whatever people need, they'll find that in Jesus. If they need forgiveness, they'll find that in Jesus. If they need mercy, it will be in Jesus. If they need joy, it's going to be in Jesus. And what, what we need to do, our part, is just to say to them, come and see. Come and see the Savior. Come and see the Savior. You and I are the light of the world. But when we go out, because we are the light of the world, and when people come into contact with Jesus they will realize that you and I are just reflections of the light of the world, who is Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for, for Jesus. I thank you, Father, for this community. I pray may we be a community that will be life-giving, not because we are amazing or we are awesome, but because Jesus is amazing. But because Jesus is the one who reigns above all things. God, I pray that we will devote ourselves to Jesus. And through that, there will be a great transformation that will be showing through our hospitality, our proclamation of God's word, our authentic relationships, that together when we come and build each other up, we will do that because of Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. May we all stand as we worship God one more time.
Oh. 